Well, good New Year to you. When did you get here? Is it is it 2020? We got a podcast to do. Yeah. This is Weekend at Bergie's, episode 33. Oh, I'm feeling really good. Just uh, a little sleepy, yo. Let's get bouncing like a coke or two. Yeah, I hope you do know who it is. Pokemon meets Pokeroo, strike three. Yeah, I'm good at bowling too. Funkier than Roby when you can smell the Olin's brew. Rhymological, little rascal. Natural, Halifax, Teddy Haskell. On the track with a backpack of rap skills. Up in the boot like rabbit bats in the cat skills. Swoop, transform a pterodactyl. Fruit, yeah, I'll have a pair of apple. They keep me agile. Slamming the gavel, relax, chill. No need to act so fragile. Cat screaming, yo, yo, you're mad ill. Nah, bro, I just got a headache in Lower Sackville. So pretty please pass the Advil so I can keep going like Nashville. That one was for my dad, Bill. See, he loves that film, plus he's mad chill. So I shouted him out, cause that's real. We're burglar, how do you feel? I feel good, keep the beat in sequence. Freaking and peeking like sleeping in sequins. DJs, I love when they give me scratches. Uh, in case you didn't, that's what that is? Practice, no, it never makes perfect. Prefer to serve words on my terms and purpose. Work it, um, just let your thoughts swerve. A shop clerk said I looked like Kevin Costner. Yo, bro, I gotcha. More flavor than homemade focaccia. Showstopper, got sauce but no pasta. Hammer giving stitches, so proper, yeah. The brain's a deep vault, a maritimer. Take me with a grain of sea salt. And we're back. Weekend at Bergie's, please, y'all. I feel so happy to be here. Happy 2020. This is, of course, uh, the Je ne Care Pas beat. Shout out my man Fresh Kills. Shout him out. Shout you out. Shout everybody. Happy New Year. And hey, happy old year. I gotta say, I, I got a lot of love for 2019. A lot of great things happened. I got to travel, got to play some really fun shows, got to meet a lot of you, got to catch up with some old friends, got to put out some new music. I got to eat some great food. I really don't have anything to complain about. 2019 was incredible uh, for me in a lot of ways. And most importantly, with one week left in 2019, I experienced a world-altering, irreversible transformation into a parent. Yeah, on December 23rd, 2019, I became the proud dad of the coolest person I've ever met. Uh, and yes, we had a baby girl and she is incredible. Mom and baby are doing great. And I know that from meeting some of you, there are at least a few parents who tune into this podcast every now and then. And, uh, and I'm really, really excited to join those ranks. Um, yeah, mom and baby are doing great. Dad is uh, on a lot of coffee, and I'm getting better at changing diapers. You know, that's really cliched. I know people say that all the time, but it is true. I was going into this being like, I've never changed a diaper, don't know what I'm doing. Next thing you know, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Do it with my eyes closed. Although you don't want to do it with your eyes closed for variety of reasons. It is pretty wild, though, because, you know, we, we were at the hospital, and we go in, and it's just two of us, and then we leave, and there's three of us, and the feeling of just walking out of 
the hospital with like this human. I'm like, you sure we can take this? <laughs> you know? It's like, I, I guess you're with us now. Um, but I really did kind of feel like we were like sneaking away, like getting away with something, bringing this person home with us. Uh, but she has been amazing. And 2019, uh, that, I mean, what a way to finish 2019. So as of this recording, she's only three weeks old. So we got, got a lot more <laughs> adventure ahead of us and really looking forward to that. Uh, also, shout out my close friends Stu and Nowlin, uh, who also had babies in 2019. So it's amazing that two of my oldest friends, uh, you know, oldest, longest, bestest pals had babies in the same year. So that's really cool. And, uh, and shout out all of you with babies or without babies. It's great. Much love to everybody. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to get back on this podcast thing in case you've been tuning in. Do you still like this movie? Is chugging along. Really, really aiming to get one uh, of those out every month for you. So, knock on wood, we're going to make that happen. I've got a lot uh, in the queue. A lot of amazing guests that I'm really excited about that have been on and are coming up. So, get ready for that. Speaking of amazing guests, what? Oh, okay, Dave Howlett. The living adventure himself is here, and for those of you who don't know, my spectacular pal Dave. He's a writer, a comic book creator, a pop culture expert, and truly one of the finest humans I have the pleasure of knowing. In addition to working on the last Paper Root comic with Alex Kennedy and yours truly, Dave is consistently cranking out some of my favorite comics, which you can check out on his Instagram, Paschetti Western. Um, and Dave's got a really cool new comic series in the works, and he's going to maybe hint at that. And Dave, uh, he also manages Strange Adventures in Halifax and knows the world of comic books really better than your average funny book aficionado. So it's always awesome to get him on here. And since this is the first episode of 2020, other than just having the chance to hang out and jibber-jabber with Dave, we're going to get into what we loved about 2019 in the worlds of comics and movies and TV shows and what went down with really kind of two of the biggest pop culture things at least like for things that I love uh, Watchmen and Star Wars there was a lot that happened in 2019 I'm sure some of you know about uh, and so be prepared there's going to be a few spoilers if you haven't seen the latest Star Wars movie and uh, Watchmen TV show but I think we kind of break it down in ways that uh, you, you can still listen without anything super major I don't know I do want to say Toronto, February 6th. I'm playing at Handlebar. Really, really hope you can make it to that. Uh, $5 rap show. First show of 2020. So we've got a fun one lined up for you, as always. So come join us at Handlebar. Also, uh, let's say I had an idea for something, and I've had it for a really long time, and I've gotten to a point where I think I can really make it happen but I'm gonna need to do a Kickstarter funding drive to help make it happen. Is that something that you might be into once you find out what it is? I know I'm being pretty vague, but uh, if you know how much I love rap and how much I love comic books, I think you might be able to put two and two together and make four, 
for you, <laughs> make something for you. That's what I'm trying to do. I want to make something for you and, and and for me and for for all my friends and some amazing artists I know. I'm going to talk about it more next episode, but w- what I do want to ask of you, if you have any thoughts on, um, you know, with Kickstarter, there are rewards uh, for certain pledge levels. So I'd like to know that if, if I'm putting together a Kickstarter campaign, what might be some rewards that you would like to see offered that would... Uh, make it worth your while to pledge other than this super cool thing that I'm going to tell you about next episode that we're going to try and get funded um, because I it's just uh, it's too big for me to just kind of do uh, all on my own um, so I uh, I think we can do it together and it'll be really fun um, so let me know weekend at burgies at gmail.com or wordberg at gmail.com those are emails you can catch me at and uh, yeah sorry if that seems a bit vague but uh, you know we're keeping things a little close to the chest right now as we finalize all the details but I uh, I am gonna be launching a Kickstarter this spring and uh, it's my first one and uh, your input and help would be uh, infinitely appreciated. Um, okay, with uh, with that out of the way, let's just get into who we've got here today. Uh, you know him. I'm very excited. He was actually the first guest on this podcast way, way back when I really didn't know what I was doing. Now I only uh, know a little bit less than that. What? <laughs> Dave Allett's here, and I can't wait to talk to him. So let's do that now. It's called Memory? Yeah, Memory, the Origins of Alien. My memory of the origins of Alien are good. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we're chilling on the weekend here with my old, old favorite super, uh, just a super guy, Dave Howlett. Thanks for joining us on the weekend, man. Uh, Anytime. I guess... Well, it's still Friday. I mean, I'm on vacation, so... Don't week- break the fourth wall, It's man. all weekend for me. <laughs> Breaking kayfabe already. <laughs> Friday's a weekend. Yeah. I mean, weekend technically starts Thursday night, so I mean, you know. Hey, make a weekend on a Tuesday. I don't sure. Care. Yeah. Depending, depending on your work schedule, you know, maybe mm-hmm. somebody's got Thursday and Friday off. That used to be my schedule at the Snail. Yeah. Uh, I remember working uh, Saturday to Wednesday. And that was like the busiest, crazy. Yeah, that's time. a pretty crazy stretch. To yeah, be working and, in a comic shop. Yeah, and then Wednesday night I'd go home with like a fat stack of new comics, mm-hmm. and uh, although I probably got some of them too. Oh no, this was back when we had to get them Wednesday morning. Oh right, before Ugh. the Tuesday night delivery. Yeah, we'd have to. Yeah, that's. Oh man, we get rough. the shipments at like six a.m. Be at the mm-hmm. shop, unpack everything, and then try and read like one or two on my lunch break, and then. Uh, and then just go home with a fat stack and just read comics for Thursday and Friday and then get back to the back to the grind. You know, we were talking before we turned on the mics how you are, I mean, you're an incredible comic book creator. You've been making comics since you were a kid, like writing and drawing and coloring and lettering and printing, publishing, the whole gamut. And, you know, of course, we work together on many awesome comics. I know you are working on a, a book right now. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it because I worry that I'll jinx it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, It's going to be six issues. I've got two finished, and I don't want to like launch it at all until the third one's done just because I'm doing like every part of it. And as you know, it's a time-consuming process. So I, I want to get 
like a little bit of backlog built up so that I'm going into the second half with a nice little uh, cushion. Mm -hmm. But I will say it's six issues. I'm doing it all myself. Uh, it's semi-fictionalized history of 1990s comic books, but then takes kind of a weird science fiction-y turn. I don't know. It's taken everything I've got because it's like uh, I got to do a lot of different styles in it. I got to cover different eras. Yeah, it's, it's a big job. It's like <laughs> maybe bigger than I was prepared for, but... You know, go big or go home, right? So it's amazing. I've been lucky enough to get previews of the first two issues, and I think it's your best work yet. Oh, and thank you. You, I mean, I've been reading your comics for as long as I've known you, which is like over twenty years, well over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, have you ever counted like how many comics you've actually made? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I actually don't think that it's that much. Like I'm always on myself that it should have been more by this point because I, I no like there's just too many times where like I'll finish a big project and then I'll just not do anything for two years or three years or four years and that's not the way to like my my current model is that like I mostly just I want to stop treating each project like this is the one this is the big one I want each one to just be the one that gets me to the next one so like as soon as this one's done I want to have another one ready to go you know and then just I just want to be creating comics as fast and furiously as I can. So, well, and we want that. Like I've, I am always clamoring for more. And like I remember when you put out Scenester, which is still available in print. You know, definitely. Like, yeah, I got copies. Yeah, hit up Dave. Um, at Strange Adventures has it. Um, and I think Silver Snail used to have copies of it. I'm sure you could. Get, we could get some more in there if you need it. But mm. uh, hit up Dave because Scenester, I remember that was like certainly of its era. It's definitely of its era. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dated in some ways. So great. And Slamorama. Like you were kind of ahead of the game on a lot of like the wrestling comics and stuff. And Yeah, well, I don't know. I kind of sensed that I didn't do it just because, of the, oh, wrestling's going to make a big comeback. I kind of just thought it was a cool lens to examine America through at that point more than anything like there's my big inspiration on that one there's a 1975 movie called Nashville directed by Robert Altman and it takes place in in Nashville over a couple of days and there's like all these there's like a political rally and all these musical acts are coming there and it just sort of examines all these different facets of America and what it's going through like you know post Vietnam post Watergate and I just thought that was a really cool way to examine it but then you get all these great musical performances and I thought well like you could kind of do that in the 80s with pro wrestling so but uh and you know I'm mostly happy with how that one turned out but my big regret when I was finished it was like I should have really married it to something else like rather than just be like oh it's it's about wrestling in the 80s should be like it's about wrestling in the 80s and then they get kidnapped by you know, weird monsters and have to fight in a gladiator arena or some crap like that. Like, so I kind of went into my current project with that ethic of like, oh, it's, I can do this, but then what if we do this with it? So, yeah. And with your current project, again, without revealing anything just yet for our readers, but definitely when it drops, uh, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Uh, but I do love that you did, you have gone that way with the new project, but honestly, Slamorama, how you handle it, it's my favorite wrestling comic I've ever read. And I mean, yes, I know you and, and love you and everything. But <laughs> Yeah, you're it biased. Is, <laughs> it is great. And, you know, I that and I would say, like, uh, the Andre the Giant book by Box Brown. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was a great, like, I feel like those two to me, I'm like, when I think wrestling comics, those, like, are the standouts for ones I've read. And, yeah, there's been a bunch over the years, um, and I'm sure I'm missing some great ones. But Slamorama, and I do love that you stuck with that 80s thing and we've got all these characters and we just kind of see that and I mean you did everything on that like pencils inks letters colors colors and the story like 
Yeah, it's awesome. I love all the names of everybody in it. And, oh, uh, thanks. I, like, yeah. I, I look back on it now, and all I can see is what I don't like about it. And part of it is that I wish I had done a deeper dive into the research, because I really was mostly just basing it on my memories of pro wrestling from when I was, like, 14. I, Which is great. That's really great. Yeah, but I'm sure I screwed up a lot of details. Hey, but whatever. You, but, they're your own characters. You can do what you want in yeah. that universe. You don't have to, since you the way you set it up, it's like this adheres to the rules of just your imagination. So I think... That's, I don't know. It's good, man. I think I anyone think so. listening, go get Slamorama from Dave Hallett. Well, I mean, I have another project on the go that uh, you're involved in, too. And that's uh, the last paper route. Yeah. So, really excited about that. I know people listening, issue five is still on the way. Alex and I were just talking about that. And, uh, and we're going to get that coming out. But, I mean, you've been knocking that out of the park. And, I mean, that's. That's such a great thing for me because we go back so long, of course, like, you know, from the adventures in paper rooting days when you were doing Bad Moon Rising and Halifax in the 90s when we were cranking <laughs> out uh, all our black and white zines. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I, I knew your artwork before I knew you and you were on a super early episode of Weekend at Bergie's. I think like right after the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie came yeah, out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we were talking about that. And I remember seeing... Bad Moon Rising posters at Strange Adventures. <laughs> it's like, who is Dave Hallett? This is awesome. And I believe was... since I was doing a werewolf comic, you thought it was a joke because <laughs> my last name was Hallett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I thought maybe your last name was just like intended to tie into. The oh comic. no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pure coincidence. Um, but no, and that was like your love of. That was sort of an homage in a lot of ways. You were like kind of channeling a bit of Frank Miller, Sin City oh, stuff. Oh, big time. I was a huge Sin City fan at that point. So I was yeah. definitely biting that style, as a lot of people were at that point. So. Yeah. Um, you're working on that. So working, you do work at Strange Adventures, mm-hmm. and you've been there. You took a little hiatus for a while, but all yeah. in all, you've been there like a while. Yeah, since 96. I think I got hired like a couple weeks or maybe even one week after you did. Yeah. So it was yeah, pretty yeah. close. Yeah, no, you were, I think you were, came on as like the full-time guy, and I was working like weekends and I think night, because I was, I was still in high school. And I, was, I think I came on as a part-time guy, too, because I was going to St. Mary's at that point, so, right. but then once I finished there, I went full-time, so. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Clearly, I put that Bachelor of Arts degree to good use. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you, you know what, you, you figured it out earlier than most, and you knew what you loved, and just being surrounded by comics all the time, and I loved it, I mean, obviously, working... Working there with you at that era was so awesome. And oh, like, man, we had Zeno on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Mystery Science Theater bootleg tapes mm-hmm. and Xena. Uh, um, I mean, what do you think looking... A lot of your old G.I. Joe cassettes, if oh, I'm not mistaken. yeah, man. All the bootlegs. I've still got tapes, like bootleg Mr. Show tapes, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that was great. Do you, like, obviously comics have changed a lot in the last, you know, 20 years Mm -hmm. um, and really through our lifetime. And so working like right now at the shop, like at a retailer level, like what are kind of the biggest differences that you see from, let's say, from like 90, yeah, 20 years ago, what were you thinking? It's a weird time because in some ways it's really grown and in some ways it's really shrunk. Like the readership has shrunk a lot, but in doing so it's also diversified. Like when you and I started working there, what would you say the percentage of female customers was? Oh, like 
we had a high think. Strange Adventures always had more. Like higher than most, more but higher still. Than most, but still, it was pretty rare. I mean, the manga was always popular. I feel like manga like had a Sandman lot. Sandman was big with a lot yeah, of female readership. manga had a lot of younger female fans, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and yeah, the Vertigo books brought in female readers. Mm-hmm. It is, cr- it, it, yeah, it's weird to even think of that, but it was definitely, I mean, 90... Like, yeah, 97, we're talking, 96, 97, and around, that was like, to me, if you were reading comics around 96, 97, you had to be a diehard, because a lot of people came and went Mm -hmm. from that whole, you know, the Image Comics explosion, and all the holofoils, Death of Superman, the speculator stuff, like, Mm -hmm. I think we were just weathering the storm of this mini crash that had happened, right? Because yeah. when when did Marvel go bankrupt? It was uh, 97, 98 maybe? Yeah, so... But not, not to get too far away from it, the reason I ask about the, yeah. the percentage of female readers is that I think now it's probably closer to half. At Which least is amazing. In our, in, you know, in, at our store at least. So, like, I yeah. do think that, like, you know, there's a lot more... Yeah, just a more diverse readership in totally. general. So, anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, but so I guess, and where I was going with that is like, yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely digging deep into that but i think that big 90s boom was definitely a male targeted thing like mm-hmm. that early 90s speculation oh yeah it like, like the bad girl craze was a big thing at that yeah. point which was not exactly inviting a, you know a woman walking into a store and seeing like a bunch of vampirella posters on the wall or whatever like uh. right and then the people who weathered that storm and kept reading comics because my biggest beef with that uh big speculation era in the early 90s I think so many people bought all these comics. Obviously, this is not an original statement. Everybody kind of in the scene knows this, but people bought all those comics thinking they were going to make money. Mm -hmm. They weren't buying them looking for great entertainment. And then I think when people finally cracked those covers and read the comics, they were like, this is garbage. Yeah. Or they would take them in like, I'm going to cash in now, and then go and find out that they were worthless, and then they would just get disillusion with the whole thing. Because you had millions of people buying comics then, and yet they didn't continue buying them. And that's because I think the quality of the comics sucked. And mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people came in for a fast grab and so many other factors. But when the quality wasn't there, I think a lot of people left. But then people like you and I, who were comic fans through the 80s, I think and the 90s, yeah, it was an exciting time. There's, you know, and there's certainly good stuff that came out in those early 90s. Sure. I mean, obviously, you and I could go on and on <laughs> about this stuff forever, but it is something I think about a lot, and definitely because that's when I was working in shops from, yeah, 96, 97 to, like, 2011, mm-hmm. 12. I mean, and so that whole watching the comic industry through that era... It was really the diehard long-term readers and who stuck it out. And there's a lot of great gems that came out, I think, in that period. Mm-hmm. Certainly like in like the late 90s, early 2000s that people kind of slept on and missed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Image kind of had that resurgence with obviously Walking Dead and... Saga. And- yeah, I mean, and Saga, even, that was even like later. Yeah. Like with Invincible, I think, like that was like, oh, this is like an ongoing book that comes out regularly and it's really good mm. and and it kind of can hold its own with other superhero books and yeah the BKV stuff coming out with 
uh, even vertigo and everything. Even going back further though, like to the those nineties when like the speculative boom was happening in the industry, but like alongside that, you were also getting things like Dan Klaus coming up mm-hmm. and you know Adrian Tomine and Chris Ware. So there there was interesting stuff happening off that beaten path, which I personally didn't get into right away. I you know I will always wish that I had gotten into it sooner, but I feel like you come to these things when you're ready for them. So I would see mm-hmm. that stuff like, I don't, know, I don't know if this is my thing. Like optic nerve just kind of looked boring to me and Dan Klaus's art looked really strange, but then it was just like, you know, you read enough superhero comics and you're just like, I need something different. And then you look and you're like, Oh, I see the value in this now. And you know, Klaus and Tomine are two of my favorites now. Like, yeah. so. Oh, absolutely. And everything they've done has just gotten consistently better. Like mm-hmm. Klaus's last book was awesome. And, um, yeah, every like Tony is one of the only guys still putting out single issues. I mean, right. only every like two or three years, but when he does, it's always worth the wait. Right? Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, I mean the diversity now, I think in the comic shops, that's amazing. And yeah, strange adventures, big props too, like big pioneer of that. Um, and welcoming like with like the ladies nights and, you know, I talked about that with Rochelle before and mm-hmm. everything and like, um, yeah, and you and Rochelle, of course, did the podcast for a long time, Living Between Wednesdays. Yeah, I think something like close to 200 episodes, oh, probably. man, and those are all available for people to tune into. Yeah. Yeah, and so when you guys started that, it was you were trying to do a weekly commentary on... Like, yeah, like we would have a topic, but we'd also like talk about what we'd read that week or like what was happening in the larger comics world. So, mm-hmm. And then you kind of evolved it to be more sort of like special edition episodes would you say like yeah well like you know like the new stuff fell by the wayside because it eventually just got too depressing (laughs) because there was just so much you know like it seemed like every other week somebody else in the industry was being revealed as some kind of predator and just like it was just you know you were just sort of seeing just the grossness of you know peeling back the curtain and seeing what was really going on and we didn't really want to dwell on that and then uh Speaking about the, you know, what we were reading that week got a little tougher because Rochelle, part of the reason we're not doing it now is because her career as a romance novelist has really taken off. You know, plus she which is run- awesome. Props yeah, to Rochelle. Yeah, yeah, like she's got like her fourth book just about to come out, I think. Um, but also, like you know, so she also runs a business and has two small children, so it was like something had to give, and she wasn't really reading as many comics. And a lot of the time, we would end up talking more about like comic book movies or TV shows, mm-hmm. which kind of bummed me out because I feel like that's the way a lot of these shows would go eventually. It's like you tune in because it's a comics podcast and then you go on and they're talking about the latest Marvel movie and that ended up being a lot of our thing. And I was like, I don't want to contribute to that. Like if we're talking comics, I want to talk comics. But Rochelle just wasn't really having time to read that much anymore. I said, well, why don't we maybe put it away for a while and come back to it at some point. But Well, yeah, it is tough. And, you know, we were talking earlier, like, you know, I still get my comics every week. Mm. But it's, you know, definitely the last month or two, it's like I've been falling behind and like stuff. And well, then, you've got a good excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a baby. Yeah. Well, your wife just had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the best excuse. But then I just love catching up when you've got like, oh, man, I got three issues in a row of this wicked series. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the best. So let's talk comics then. Like, 2019 uh, is just is freshly behind us. Mm-hmm. What were uh, the standout comics like for you personally? And then like, what were like the big ones that were selling a lot? Well, you know, I was talking about this with another former coworker of ours, Mike Drake, last night. He worked with us. Shout out original Drake. That's right. <laughs> um, and I was saying that me personally, the stuff I'm gravitating towards lately is like, I'm not really reading much in the way of Marvel or DC. Like I am far more interested in 
books by like one person or a very small group of people where you're just getting a less diluted uh, creative team. You know, like the it's more of a creative vision rather than like a committee working on it. Like I understand why that is necessary for Marvel and DC because that monthly grind is punishing and you got to kind of spread it out. But I personally find it not a great rewarding read a lot of the time because it's just like, well, you know, it's it's by comics by committee. And, you know, you and I have been reading Marvel and DC forever and we know that ultimately nothing can really change. Like, you know, they can kill off this person and they can change the lineup of this team. But six months to a year later, it's all going to be undone anyway. A new creative team's going to roll in and just pave over it. So I have kind of pushed that stuff aside and focusing way more. I've been reading a lot more stuff by Image, a lot more stuff by, like, you know, IDW, Dark Horse. Uh, so some of the stuff that I've really enjoyed, like Copra by Michelle Fife is my current favorite. Um, you know, the quick pitch is that he basically was a, a giant fan of 80s Suicide Squad by John Ostrander, mm-hmm. Luke McDonald, and just kind of decided to do his own version of it. And, you know, he writes, draws, letters, colors. It's all him. And he was even publishing it for the first 31 issues, like packing it up, mailing it out to people, the whole schmear. Now he's doing it for Image Comics. He restarted it at number one, so there's been a fresh start for that, and it's been great. Um, so I'm really happy to have that back. He did a couple of side projects in the meantime, like he did a Blood Strike miniseries for Image. Yeah, I grabbed that one. Yeah. And then he did a G.I. Joe miniseries for IDW, and then came back strong on Copra. So that was really exciting for me. Um... Another one that I'm a really big fan of is Kaiju Max by Xander Cannon, which comes out from Oni. Uh, this has been a long-standing favorite of mine, and it's on season five, as they call it. He'll do like a season of six issues, take a break, and then come back into another one. Uh, and the pitch for that is that it's kind of like HBO's Oz set on Monster Island. It's like a prison drama with giant monsters. You know, there's gangs, there's drugs, there's cro- crooked guards, you know, all that stuff. And it's it's terrific. Like, full of weird in-jokes to, like, all these different kaiju movies and, like, you know, the guards are all kind of like Ultraman or Power Rangers type characters. and uh, Yeah, and know, kaiju for people who don't know, that's like giant, giant monsters. monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From, from Japan. Yeah, and then like even in the newest issue that just came out, there's like some weird Pokemon jokes. There's like these kids being put into a fighting ring by Pokemon, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> like, the title of the issue is Catch Them All. But uh, it's, I love it. There's, yeah, I read the first one and I loved it and I just got to get caught up. I hadn't realized it's up to season five already. Yeah, well, there's also a really sweet deluxe oversized hardcover of the first two, quote-unquote, I'm doing finger quotes, seasons. Like, Mm -hmm. that's like a big, like, monster-sized edition that has commentary at the bottom of each page by Xander Cannon that explains it. Uh, Like, a lot of the references and things. And if you're a fan of Alan Moore, the Alan Moore comic Top Ten, which Xander Cannon did the layouts for, it's very much in that vein of, like, you know, this top-to-bottom, fully realized world that's, like, full of in-jokes, but also, like, a really great drama and uh, just sort of, like, a, an ongoing commentary on that particular genre. That's another favorite of mine. Uh, there's a book from Image called Outer Darkness that I really like. Uh, if you're a fan of movies like Event Horizon or Alien, it's kind of like that vein of, like, deep space horror, this ship called the Charon that is uh, out kind of exploring haunted space, essentially, and they're coming up against ghosts and zombies and demons and stuff. Um it's a, it kind of reminds me a little bit like the Mirror Universe episodes of Star Trek in a way where it's like it's a bunch of people on the ship, but they're all just kind of like out to get each other too. Like So you've got, you know, the exterior threats of all these crazy creatures, but then a lot of uh, everybody trying to outmaneuver each other amongst the crew and stuff. That's a great series. Great art. It's by John Lehman who wrote two and uh, art by Afu Chan, who I don't know from anything else but this, but his art is terrific. I love it. Um I went into 2020 going, like, I want to get some new stuff in my diet, too, because I do think this is a big problem 
with a lot of comic readers, I'm not like pointing the finger, but it's something we're all guilty of is you kind of get a little stale in your tastes for a while. You just kind of find the same thing over and over and over again and just like, you know, buying Spider-Man for whatever and then just filing it away. But you got to refresh it every once in a while. So I bought a couple books. I bought uh, Night Business by Benjamin Mara, who is oh, yeah. a Toronto guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which was pretty wild stuff. He's, again, like I say, you come to these things when you're ready for it. I would see his stuff like, eh, I don't know, it's kind of gross. I'm not really into it. I don't know if I'm ready for it. And uh, this time I was just ready for it. And it's like, you know, if you like movies like Cobra, Cobra, Cobra with Sylvester Stallone or like uh, Vice Squad or the Angel Trilogy. I don't know if you remember that one. Like uh, no, <laughs> High School that. Student by Day, Prostitute by Night. No, I don't know that. <laughs> It was like, you'd know the video cover if you saw it. It's one of those. It was like a video mainstay. But uh, just like where it's like, but yeah, Night Business is about like there's this masked slasher targeting exotic dancers and this guy that runs the talent agency, the glitz glam talent agency that they all work for is uh, on the hunt for this killer and one of the intended victims, she survives, she gets slashed up, she starts wearing a motorcycle helmet and going out as a vigilante trying to track him down and, you know, there's an evil cult involved and, you know, anyway, it's uh, it's every possible content warning you could slap on this thing. But, uh, you know, like things like yeah, Miami Vice or Cobra or whatever, it's kind of in that vein. Really enjoyed that. The other one I bought is a book called Purdy. Do you know this one? No. Image put it out. It's a big hardcover, but like pretty cheap for like, it's a substantial read for 20 bucks US. It's a lot of reading by this artist named Kickley. I don't know how to say it. Kickley? It's like K-I-C-K-L-I-Y. Um, and there were like an Angelum Award nominee. So i assuming, actually, no. I think they are from the States, but I it had kind of a European flavor to it. But it's uh, like kind of a Western comedy about this outlaw named Purdy who's like this kind of big, brawly, very lusty bandit, essentially, who's just like, you know, like an outlaw and a thief in the Old West. And uh, just uh, <laughs> the tagline in the back is that she loves two things, uh, having sex and robbing banks, no particular order. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like a lot of really funny jokes, like just, I don't know, the art's very loose in a way that might be off-putting to some people, but just I'm really enjoying it because it is just like that kind of frantically like just getting ideas down on the page. And again, just like one creator doing everything, so yeah. you're not getting it like diluted through a bunch of other people. Um, so I'm really enjoying that right now, too. I'm only about halfway through the volume, but I think the second one is due out in the spring from Image, and I'm definitely going to Is it P-U-R-D-Y? Uh, P-E-R-D-Y. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, it's good stuff. So... Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of one creator, I are you, are you still reading Farmhand? Were you reading? Yes, that? Farmhand's another one I really enjoy. That's a great one by uh, Rob Guillory, also and the other creator of Chew, totally John Layman. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, just some good kind of like medical science gone wrong, tied in with like weird family drama stuff. That there's uh, this former farmer who now runs like a kind of biomedical concern where they grow new limbs for people and then like, you know, lose an eye, lose an arm, lose a foot. They kind of grow them like vegetables, but there's something sinister tying all these limbs together and there's family secrets involved and a weird conspiracy. And I like that one a lot. Yeah. I really like that. That I, that's one of my favorite books of 2019. For yeah. Sure. Like each issue has like expanded the story more and there's a, yeah, it's a weird mystery that's slowly unraveling mm -hmm. and I, I'm just, it seems like Rob's got a real plan for it. Yeah. It's just a good, I don't know, it's a great read. Uh, I've never heard of somebody growing limbs for medical purposes. Yeah, like, like I can almost... such an odd... Yeah, thing. like, it almost feels like something kind of related to, like, Swamp Thing or, like, mm. the Black Orchid miniseries that Neil right. Gaiman did. Like, 
that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, very original. And the first time I've known him to write anything, I like I previously only knew him as an artist, but the writing is really strong too. Really solid book. Um, I also really like GoBot. Did you read that? Oh, by yeah, Tom, Tom Scioli. Yeah, yeah. I'm a wow. big Scioli fan. I love his stuff. Yeah, Did you read think... Fantastic Four Grand Design? No, I've not read that oh, okay. yet. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah, GoBots was great. It was just like... It was very I weird. I mentioned it on the podcast before, but that was definitely one of my favorite books of the last year or so. Mm-hmm. With It was like, what does a 40-year-old man want to see in a GoBots comic book? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I want my GoBots to like actually step on humans and kill people, but uh, also just be completely crazy and embracing everything about... like. Yeah, like if you were just playing in a sandbox with these toys, mm-hmm. what kind of story would you create? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love Scioli's art and uh, like the Transformer G.I. Joe series. I really liked that. Oh, yeah, I liked it too. Um, I thought it was really, really brilliant. And again, just for like something fun and different and just here's a completely different take that doesn't, it doesn't take away anything from the previous iterations of it. Yeah. Like, I know like, you know, diehard fans of any big properties, like especially like a G.I. Joe Transformers thing, you look at that and you're like, oh, I don't know, this art style looks wrong, it looks stupid, it looks goofy. Mm-hmm. But it was just a fun, like, different, here's just like a fun, like, afternoon spinoff uh, of these characters. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And it does nothing to the other iterations of it. Yeah, nobody's coming to your house to take a well. I was going to say, there's no other GoBots comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, nobody's going to come and take away your GoBots toys or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. This is one thing I always find, and I'm talking about refreshing your what you're reading or whatever, is that, like, I am constantly astounded at how many people just kind of want the same thing over and over again. Like, we see this, I'm sure we're going to get into about Star Wars, but, like, that's kind of where we're at with Star Wars now, too, is that, like, I don't know. People just often want just the same thing over. Like I know we're coming at the Last Jedi from very different places. You're not such a big fan. I am a big fan. I think one of the like people you know can like it or dislike it for whatever reasons. But there was a very vocal segment of Star Wars fandom that I think really didn't like it because it did things differently. So the the new one just kind of was like, well, we're gonna go back to what you know then. We're gonna play the hits. <laughs> like, and uh, I don't know. I don't want to just see the same thing over and over. I want to be challenged. I want to see something different. I want to see a crazy GoBots comic that has like sixteen panels on a page, you know, and has a weird Kirby art style. Like, do it differently. Why not mix it up? Yeah, it's great. And one last thing about GoBots. It's strange that we've gone all this time and there never was a GoBots comic. Yeah, that is <laughs> seriously weird. But yeah, I mean, Transformers just obliterated GoBots uh, off the face of the earth, yeah. really. And it's just fun. I mean, I remember as a to- as a kid thinking, oh, like, I liked GoBots. Like, they were f- super fun. And But yeah, certainly when Transformers got into high gear, it was kind of like, who needs these GoBots? But, yeah, but I mean, like, they now... they in your pocket and they transformed. And, and now in retrospect, that weirdness is what's most attractive about them, is mm-hmm. that they are this weird little kind of dorky offshoot with names like Dive Dive and, you know... Psykill and Screwhead or something. <laughs> we know what the hell. Like, I forget what that guy's name. They're is, yeah. just super strange. Like they're just weird, ugly designs. And I don't know, but that makes them kind of charming. I guess I I had a friend in junior high. I remember we got talking about. Oh, remember this? Remember that? And like GoBots came. Up. I was like, Ah, GoBots are stupid. He came back with, No, nah, man, GoBots had soul. That <laughs> <laughs> was always stuck with me. Well, I, clearly, I mean, I think Tom Scioli is like. I I don't know the guy, but I I think he was like. The story I heard was that he was just a super fan of GoBots mm-hmm. and wanted to do a comic, and great, awesome. Yeah. When you can get to that level where you can be like, this is what I want to do, mm-hmm. and uh, and they let him do it, and 
to our benefit. Um, yeah, well, Jack, I guess. Are we going to... Well, I just want to say, too, like, Tom Scioli, this is a good transition. He is a frequent guest on... It's not a podcast. Well, there is a podcast version, but the YouTube show Cartoonist Kayfabe, which is normally hosted by Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg, and it's... I look forward to every new episode they do. It is... Anyone has any interest in comics? I found, like... It was one of the things in 2019 that really reignited a lot of my passion for comics because mm-hmm. like, it started out as just them doing commentaries on old Wizard magazines, which were really entertaining and just a really interesting snapshot of where the industry was at that point and dovetailed very nicely with what I was working on. So I actually had that on in the background. I still do when I'm working on it. I think it just kind of informs it. But they've also started doing commentaries on other major works like Akira and Dark Knight Returns, and they did one about Storanko's uh, adaptation of the movie Outland recently, and those are all really interesting and just insightful and fact-filled and cool. And yeah, like stuff those guys did this year that I really enjoyed too, like uh, X-Men Grand Design by Ed Piscor, which was like his epic retelling of the first 300 issues of Uncanny X-Men. Like that was super cool. And, uh, and great, such a great concept too. And yeah. You know, we had the honor of meeting them at uh, DCAF. At DCAF and, in Dartmouth last yeah. year, yeah, which was awesome. Jim Rugg's Street Angel, which he was doing in like a series of larger hardcover albums, which are all now available in one paperback called Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, no, so. um, cartoon is kayfabe, absolutely. If you're, mm. if you're listening, if you're still listening right now, that means you're probably into comics and stuff like that. And yeah, and, uh, you definitely worth the to watch. check it out. Because yeah. yeah, like, you know, it's not just, you hear them, oh, they do commentaries on Wizards. It's not just like, Two guys going, oh man, I totally had that. Remember that? I had that. I had that. Like they provide, like they they fully know that Wizard Magazine sucks. Like they say this <laughs> frequently. They're like the writing is terrible. They're clearly in the pockets of a lot of, you know, uh, speculator interests and stuff. Like one of the reasons Valiant Comics got covered so much is that a guy who was a shareholder in Valiant was either an editor or like a he had some higher up position within it. So that's why they were really pushing Valiant so hard. So like, you know, they know it's not a great magazine, but they know that. It, uh, as I said, like an interesting lens with which to view the industry. And they, like I said, they cover like a wide variety of stuff. They talk about Mm. a lot of alternative comics, a lot of manga. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, so of its era too. I mean, their wizard was, I look, as a young comic reader, going to the shop, getting wizard was just as exciting as getting a new issue of anything else. There was no internet yet. Where else were you going to get your news? Unfortunately, it was very skewed news, but. (laughs) Yeah. No, but you know what? There's looking back to there were great articles on indie comics and stuff in there that you could yeah find. Palmer's picks that yeah. was the the one that was like the best reason to buy it. Mm-hmm. So um, no, I definitely learned a lot about that. Yeah, and yeah, everyone looked in that price guide. Oh, is Death of Superman worth more mm-hmm. now? Oh no, it's what's my first appearance of yeah. Cable worth? Wait, <laughs> Harbinger number one is worth like a hundred dollars. So you did mention Star Wars, mm-hmm. and yes, Star Wars is being talked to death. Uh, everywhere else, so we don't need to. Yeah, do we don't need to go too much. We don't need to go it. deep into it. But Rise of Skywalker, yeah, it was fine. You know, like I don't know. I, it, yeah, I'm trying very much to separate it from like all the conspiracy theories, true or false. They may or may not be about like Abrams and the writers trying to undo a lot of what Ryan Johnson did in the Last Jedi. Like, however you feel about the Last Jedi, that's kind of a dick move if that's what they're doing. You know, and also like just appeasing more toxic elements of fandom who really kind of like chased Kelly Marie Tran off Instagram and Twitter, you know, like, and then this movie, she's like barely in it. It's like just kind of a bad look, you know, it's like, it was weird that she was not in it. And I, yeah, I don't want to throw more gas onto that crazy (laughs) tire fire that is just 
going everywhere. It was weird that they did spend a lot of time with her in the second movie, and then we don't see her in the third movie. Yeah. Personally, I wasn't just too crazy about her character. Okay, but I gotta know why, though. Because, like, see it all the time. Oh, she's annoying. I'm like, It's not like she wears a crazy outfit or has a goofy catchphrase or does a bunch of comedy... Pr- she's not Jar Jar Binks. She doesn't do a bunch of comedy pratfalls. Like, she's just... Just a character with a point of view, and I really like her. But. Yeah, well, I've definitely warmed up to The Last Jedi after my first viewing. I've now watched it, like, three times, mm-hmm. and each time I've seen it, like, okay, like, stuff that I didn't like about it at first, I'm like, okay, I kind of dig this. There's certainly parts of it that I think are amazing. Mm-hmm. I think Last Jedi's got a lot of great stuff in it, and... I think over time, it's. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna age well. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna age better than Rise of Skywalker. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, again, I don't really. I didn't really have like the strongest opinion one way or the other. Mm. She just certainly wasn't like my favorite character by any means, and I don't. I don't know. I was just kind of like, eh. I could kind of take her or leave her, mm. but I certainly don't understand. Like the hate is like not cool at all, mm. and it's just like you know what, whatever. Like. Stuff like that in movies, I'm like, okay, you and I, we <laughs> ingest so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, I didn't like it, but you did. Okay, cool. That That's fine. Um, I did, like, Holdo, the whole Holdo maneuver thing, I had issues with in Last Jedi. Like, it was like, oh, wait, is she sacrificing a bunch of all these rebels? Did all these people just die for no reason? No, Poe like, sacrificed a bunch of rebels. Well, because why that's didn't an she ongoing... tell Poe the plan? Like, <laughs> again, like, yeah. He didn't need to know. That's the thing is, like, uh, there's a big mm. theme throughout that movie of characters, mostly men, making these big useless gestures of bravado, like, kind of sacrifice. Let's just blow everything out, whatever. And, like, his character's arc, essentially, at the end of the movie is that he's like, no, we don't have to just go out in a blaze of glory. We can run and fight another day. Like, you know, we got to build up the resistance again kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. and like Finn, again, he tries to do like to take out that Death Star cannon by sacrificing himself and blasting his way into it, even though it's not going to accomplish anything. It's too late. And then Rose saves him from doing it, you know? So it's like this ongoing thing of like just kind of male bravado that's useless and wasteful, you know? And then kind of just not listening to the women around them telling them like, don't do that. It's stupid. And they're just like, oh, I'm a big hero. I'm going to go do it anyway. Like, anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the whole thing. No, we don't this, have to but. get into the whole thing. There was one thing, like you're talking about plot points that did get totally ignored in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, there was one thing that I did take from Last Jedi that I thought might have been a clue to Rey's origin, mm. which we now know. I mean, spoiler alert for anyone listening, Rey is uh, the Emperor's granddaughter. But in The Last Jedi, when she goes down, when she's training with Luke and she goes into that cave, and mm-hmm. you and I talked about this, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know if that's... But my theory was, and, like, I got that from watching the movie, it was like, oh, when she goes into that cave, and they're like, you're going to see who you are in that cave. Mm-hmm. And she just sees mirror versions of herself, right? There's, like, a whole row of her, like, going mm-hmm. on and on and on. So I thought, oh, she's a clone. So that's... That was my takeaway that they were going to, like, Ray was going to be a clone of maybe Darth Vader or maybe Palpatine. Mm. Um, so I would kind of thought, okay, she's going to be a clone. And then clearly we see she's revealed, which honestly, I don't hate that she's Palpatine's granddaughter. It's I'm like, not into it. I, I mean, like, okay, but let me ask you this. Do you think they actually planned that from the beginning? I like, was there like anything this... to indicate that he was going to be like okay? I got on... Emperor vibes from Snoke in Force Awakens. For well, sure. he was totally like a, an Emperor, you know, clone, an Emperor mm-hmm. and another and under another well, name. Well, I thought he was a failed clone of the Emperor. Well, yeah, which we eventually realized he was. But I mean, yeah. to me, I don't know. Like, 
okay, the Emperor Palpatine being the major villain of the entire series makes sense, except that they didn't hint at it at all in the previous two movies. Like, if there had been something at the end of the second movie, maybe, that indicated, like, oh, shit, Palpatine's behind it, that would make sense. No, it just seemed like they just something that they came up between movies. Just, like, the least inspired choice they could... I don't know. I'm not into it. I think it's whack as fuck. Pardon my French. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's kind of how I felt in um, watching the prequels yeah. for the first time. When it's like, well, wait a second. Why is does nobody remember... C-3PO or R2-D2 yeah. when they met them in the prequel. Yeah, well, that's a whole other <laughs> You know, rant, I mean, but... then there's like a whole other like, wait a second, so Obi-Wan, wouldn't he remember this droid? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, I don't seem to remember owning a droid, but I mean, maybe maybe he's racist, maybe all droids look alike to him. <laughs> <laughs> look, oh, you droid found... racism is for real on Tatooine. Oh. Remember that bartender at Mos Eisley? <laughs> he didn't want it's them true, in no droids allowed. But in the Mandalorian, they're allowed in. That's true. Well, things change, you know. Yeah, Mandalorian, by then, it's more progressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you found the one flaw in Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> who previously was just the most immaculate Star mm-hmm. Wars character yeah uh, no uh okay so yeah rise of skywalker i had i was really waiting for you know in re-watching all the films i love like the opening sequence of return of the jedi just starting on tatooine going into jabba's palace into like the skiff battle and everything i love that scene mm-hmm. and to this day like re-watching the star wars movies it's Always a highlight. Oh, I love it, too. It's so great. And Jedi kind of is two movies in a lot of ways, right? There's like that first... Because that opening sequence lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're in there with, you know, Leia, Han and the Carbonite, like everything with the Rancor, and, oh, it's the best. And I'm the getting skiff battle and yeah, all that jazz. Man. Yeah. Luke finally gets to show you, whoa, he's, like, achieved full Jedi. Like, mm-hmm. you know, time has passed between Empire and, and Jedi, like... Return of the Jedi, great film. Okay, I also love Return of the Jedi. However, I do feel that, like like you, I saw it as a child. So to me, it was like, there's no bad Star Wars. It's just Star Wars, and it's <laughs> awesome. But I do feel like if I had seen it as an adult, I would have been like, we've done this already. We've been to Tatooine. We've blown up a Death Star. Why are we doing this again, you know? And that does seem to be the pattern that we keep getting locked back into is like, how many goddamn times have we seen a Death Star get blown up now? Or like had to talk about the Death Star or go back to Tatooine. Like, there's this whole universe of possibilities and we keep going back to the same three or four things. And it seems like there's a lot of fans who just want that. And mm-hmm. if you go outside of it, they freak out and start petitions and make death threats, you know? And it's like, yeah. again, why do people just want the same thing over and over again? It boggles my goddamn mind. Well, you know, yeah, there's the instant rage and everything. But, I mean, I try and stay out of... I do stay out of any of that and like, yeah. avoid reading. So, I mean, I don't even know. Um, but with Rise of Skywalker, it's like... I. I I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was I thought fun. It was you know, like great I, battle scenes. I there's thought cool there was, stuff in there. Like. Yeah, like I think Force Awakens is easily my favorite of the three new ones. Mm. And um, yeah, Rise of Skywalker, I've only seen it once as of right now. I'd, I'd, I've only seen it once too. Yeah, definitely. I was going to go on New Year's Day and then I was just like, or I could not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it just kind of wrapped everything up. You know, it was kind of a clean, nice easy, digestible, fun thing. And honestly, seeing all the kids in the theater loving it, that was, to me, it's like you look at the 
twelve year old sitting. That's in who the it's for. It's not for us. And like, they're loving it. It's like great. This is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, like I was at a dinner party on New Year's Day, and I was talking to a woman there, and she was like, "Did you like it?" And I was like, nah, "I don't know." And she's like, "Oh, I saw it with my eight eight year old, my ten year old, and they loved it. So I had a great time." And I was like. I wish I'd, you know, that's, that's the experience to have. And, Perfect, you know, right? when I went on opening night, there was like a little girl dressed as Ray and like a little boy in like a rebel pilot outfit and stuff like amazing. That's awesome. Like that's who should, that's who should be enjoying this. Not like I saw a guy on Twitter who was just like real star Wars fans, read all the books and play all the video games. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not, you can do that too. I read some of the books. Yeah. I play some of the video games. I love the comics. Like I'm, if you don't, like, there's so much out there. Yeah, or you can just yeah. watch the movies. Yeah, like, that's fine. Like, that's all I really consider canon. Like, when people are yeah. like, well, actually, in the Fallen Order game, they say this. Like, whatever, I don't know. It's Yeah, and it is super easy to, you know, you just have to separate yourself from, from that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we get we get the Mandalorian, yeah. which I have fully which enjoyed. most people, myself included, totally on board with. Like, yeah. that was a great show. That's kind of where I see the future of Star Wars is, like, streaming stuff. Like, because, I mean, you know, like, they were inspired by serials, and it lends itself very well to that format. Like, a weekly... I would love to every Friday morning before work, I'd fire it up and watch it, you know? It was great. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm excited for this Obi-Wan Me too. Uh, series. Love, love to see you and McGregor play Obi-Wan in something good, because he yeah. didn't have a chance yet. Like I feel like... I don't know if I mentioned it on this podcast before, but they're... The Jason Aaron Star Wars run mm-hmm. uh, in Marvel Comics, which, as far as I know, is still considered canon, or like fits. Oh yeah, it. like that's post Disney buying it. So yeah, so they consider it real. It, like listeners, if you want some really good Star Wars comics, I highly recommend that Jason run, mm-hmm. Aaron run. Um, the but the Obi Wan when he did like the Obi Wan solo, yeah, like story, the journals of Obi Wan Kenobi or whatever. Those little... were awesome. Mm-hmm. Of like, yeah, what's going? What was Obi Wan doing in that time when yeah. he was on Tatooine waiting for Luke to grow up? Mm-hmm. Great, give me that all day. Yeah. Love to see that stuff. Are there other plans for Star Wars stuff yet? Have they announced anything yeah. past Obi-Wan? Well, there's also going to be uh, a Cassian Andor show. So I assume it's going to be like oh. Cassian Andor and K2SO, like their adventures prior to Rogue One or something. Cool. That, so. uh, yeah, again, like exploring that stuff. Like, I'm a big fan of Solo. Mm-hmm. I think some people, you know, that seemed to be weirdly polarizing. I still don't know why it didn't do well at the I don't know why either. My theory is that they put it out too closely after The Last Jedi. People were kind of Star Wars doubted. Like, oh, we just got through the media blitz and the merchandising, and now we're doing it again in May. Like, they had kind of set themselves up with this nice December release schedule. I don't know why they didn't stick with it. They just kind of dumped it. And I think Solo's a lot of fun. So, uh, And most people I know really like it. I, I love it. Yeah, I've actually watched that. Maybe more times than any of that in Force Awakens, I think, of the, of the new ones. I probably watched the most times. But. Yeah, I really, like, I watched everything leading up to Rise of Skywalker, and that one jumped up a couple points in my estimate. Like, I always liked it, but this time I just really had a good time. It's with it, great. So. Every sequence is awesome. Um, all the actors are great. I like, like, the new, the designs in that are yeah. awesome. Music's um, great. Like, uh, you know, stuff like the, I'm not a big fan of, fan service like the kind of like jabbing you in the elbows like ah, that guy from that thing you remember huh? like you can do it with a light touch and it works and i think solo they do it right like i know you're a much bigger fan of rogue one than i am and part of my beef with it is i feel like there's a lot of that like you know when they run into dr evas and it's like you just watch yourself i've got like is he yeah. gonna say does he say <laughs> this to everybody he meets you know like that kind of shit like but there's things like you know like seeing the kessel run was undoubtedly exciting you know like the first time han and chewie take the controls of the falcon together 
Awesome. First, the time, first they time they meet. met. Yeah. Awesome. Like, so cool. Like, that movie, yeah. I do not understand. I don't know. Like I say, I don't know that there is hate for it because I feel like most people I know really like it. I really liked L33T. I think she was really good. Like, just a fun take on a droid. Like, he's like a droid's rights activist, you know? Like, really fun. Per- and just like the weird, just the, the suggestion of her intimate relationship with Lando was really funny to me. <laughs> like, just Why a not? weird idea that I thought worked really well. Yeah. Yeah, Solo's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we got into the Star Wars uh, hole for a second. But let's talk about something else that uh, I feel had a crazy year in 2019 that I don't know if people really, like, noticed as much, but Watchmen. People noticed it by the end, for sure. Like, Yeah, like, well, with it's, you know, Doomsday Clock was dragging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously we're talking about you know the spin-off of Watchmen, the comic book series. Uh, that crossed Alan... over to. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no. Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, you of know, course. Like the classic that is classic for every reason it should be. <laughs> pretty much the greatest superhero comic ever. I yeah. think that's uh, pretty safe to you know say easily top three. I yeah. think. Oh yeah, um, like I reread it again as the show was airing, and then like I'm still I don't know how many times I read. I've been reading it. Since I was 14, and I mm-hmm. still notice new things in it. Like, Absolutely. It's like, and I like to give a bit of space, like, I read it every couple of years, but it's, I, I love Watchmen. Go, mm. Like, and, you know, they did before Watchmen a few years back, mm-hmm. spearheaded by, you know, the the late and absolutely incredible Darwin Cook, uh, who I thought his contribution to that was incredible. Definitely like, the highlight. Yeah, he like did Minutemen and the Silk Spectre. Yeah, series. he wrote Silk Spectre, Amanda Connor did the art, and he wrote and drew Minutemen. And then uh, I didn't really have a lot of time for any of the other ones, frankly. <laughs> like, they didn't really do much for me. Well, what's great, they came out when they did the collected editions. Mm-hmm. They collected his stuff in one book. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, if you have, if you haven't read them, and you are a Watchmen fan at all, I totally co-signed that. Like, the Darwin Cook stuff for before Watchmen, I really enjoyed. And I thought the way he approached it into that world... Um, because, I mean, the big thing about Watchmen, you and I know this, for years and years and years, Alan Moore said, no sequel, this is a standalone thing. DC, they, I guess, fought for years uh, trying to do more spinoffs. And Watchmen was the thing, you couldn't touch it. You couldn't touch it in a spinoff comic series. You couldn't touch it uh, in a movie. Uh, Terry Gilliam famously said it was uh, unfilmable. Yeah, he got pretty far with, you know, developing a script. I've read the script for that one. Sam Hamm, who wrote the 1989 Batman movie, did a draft of it. And you can find it online. It's not very good. Well, yeah, and it's too... too epic for one film. Mm-hmm. Um, to Zack Snyder's credit, which I know he there's another polarizing creator, I think that's his best film. I would agree. Yeah. I, I really like it. I think he did a great I don't know job. that he totally understands the material, but he knows how to, like, you know, approximate it on screen. It's like, and like the comedian. Yeah, um, some great casting. Jackie O'Haley's Rorschach is fantastic casting. Yeah, it's... Like, Watchmen's great. That yeah. movie by Zack Snyder, awesome. There's like, a couple other ones in there that almost happened, too. Did you see the stuff, that, the footage that surfaced recently from the David Hayter version from, no. like, 2003? There's, like, an audition reel he did with Ray Stevenson, who played uh, Titus Pullo in Rome and played the Punisher in Punisher Wars. Greatest Zone. Punisher movie of all time. Agreed. Um, <laughs> he was Rorschach in this test that they did, and... Uh, Oh, Jesus Christ. What was his name on Game of Thrones? Jorah Mormont, that actor. Oh, yeah. Ian Glenn. He was Night Owl. There's like a little audition reel of them doing it. It's worth checking out. It's pretty weird. It's very cheap. It's just like an audition reel. 
that you know fell through for whatever reason. And then like Paul Greengrass was going to do one around 2006 that got very far along and then collapsed, and he went off and did United '93 instead. And then that's when Zack Snyder stepped in. So yeah, so I mean, the big thing is like Watchmen was like something that was untouchable. Mm-hmm. Certainly when we were kids, and you know, yeah, I've read it. You know, shout out Alex Kennedy lent me his copy when we were kids. He was like, oh, you've never read Watchmen? And it was like, whoa, and reading it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It totally changed my perspective on what could be done with comics and superheroes. And mm-hmm. it was phenomenal. It was obviously a change, like, when it came out, you know. <laughs> everyone knows Watchmen was the game changer in, in comics, mm-hmm. for sure. And um, it, That's a whole other thing to get into the whole history with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and, and the rights and everything. Uh, but yeah, long story short, for years, nobody ever touched it. Couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. Then we got before Watchmen. They did a big push, <clears throat> like a year in comics and comic shops. There were new toys coming out. There was all this stuff. And then it kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And then Doomsday Clock got announced. And Doomsday Clock was Jeff Johns, a comic creator. And what's his official title at DC now? Was he co-publisher? Co-publisher, yeah. I think... Or maybe, I don't know, because actually co-publisher I think might be like Dan Didio and Jim Lee. Yeah, and Jeff J- Jeff Johns, if you've read comics, I mean, for me, I think he's written some of the greatest DC comics of the last 20 years. Like, I loved his Flash stuff. He, you know, revived Green Lantern. He did a, an amazing, like him and Gary Frank mm-hmm. did that awesome Superman. Yeah, that's that's the stuff for me that really sings, is like his action comics run. With yeah. Like, started out with Adam Cooper, then there was some Eric Powell stuff, and then eventually Gary Frank, and it's fantastic. Like, yeah, and they did like this, was it Super Secret Origin, or like a retelling? Yeah, Superman like, and Secret yeah. Origin. Yeah, like Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, you know, like there was a bunch of great ones there. Like, I don't, I don't really go back to his other stuff, because I find it's just too, it's either too layered in continuity or too like it's too dark like he's just like taking these characters and just like they're like super violent they're really kind of rapey and they're just like i don't know just really not yeah, like into it. i i think his flash stuff is great his like, flash stuff's not too bad for that like his flash is good but when you're getting green lantern and you get like you know the shark or king shark or whatever right, it is just like got dark, just like yeah. chewing guys to pieces and there's like blood and severed limbs everywhere and it's like no wonder kids don't read comics anymore well was he the rage ring was he one of the rage lanterns and the cat there was like the angry cat. well yeah he created all that stuff no like, but i mean with that the shark no ring, he wasn't one i don't he, think he didn't but, become one yeah but you know like just the fact that he creates these rage lanterns who basically like barf up bloody plasma <laughs> it's like what the <laughs> fuck like Hey, Green Lantern, he was trying to do new stuff. I was liking Green Lantern for a while, but I look back at it now, like, I don't think I like this stuff anymore. He also did JSA, which is amazing. He wrote JSA for a long time. He wrote Teen Titans for a long time. Yeah, like, okay, look, I'm a big fan of Jeff Johns. Like, for for those... I was. I am not as much anymore. But I will always stand by that Action Comics run. Yeah, I can't think of anyone whose contribution to DC, though, in the last 20 years has been as impactful as him, other than Darwin Cook, of course. Yeah. With New Frontier and Mm -hmm. everything. Um, New Frontier is something everybody should read before they read any Jeff Johns. Go read stuff, anything, sure. even like Twilight Children. Like his last work was mm-hmm. just the Parker adaptations from IDW. Like goes without spirit. saying. Spirit Darwin is a eternal comics god. Mm-hmm. Um, so go check out all Darwin stuff for sure. But we're talking about Jeff Johns because Doomsday Clock is. The big thing that kind of was hinted at with the DC Rebirth, yep. which restarted. Um, again, we're getting deep into comic stuff, so if you're still listening and don't read too many comics, uh, you know, just follow, you know, I think you follow along, we'll try and explain it. But DC Rebirth was yet a new rebirth, restarting of the DCU. Yet again. <laughs> where they were introducing, you know, kind of 
updating and taking the best of everything that I think had come before mm. and trying to mush it into one world. Uh, and one of those things was Watchmen, mm. which previously was kind of its own thing. Um, but now there were hints that somehow the Watchmen characters, which were just existing in their own world, uh, were now going to somehow join the DCU. And Doomsday Clock was how they were going to do it. And I enjoyed it. I thought, I mean, towards the end, I think it petered out a bit. And the ending is a very polarizing uh, end, which I guess we can spoil. I'm assuming you've read the last issue. Yeah. Um, so essentially, uh, why don't you set, can you set this up for, uh, for anyone who doesn't know Doomsday it, Clock? It's honestly tough because there was, the delays were so long between issues that I just was losing the plot completely but like i don't know like characters from the watchman universe start popping up in the dc universe and we start getting hints that maybe dr manhattan has influenced the course of the dc universe in some way dc continuity um to darken it up somehow they're like maybe everything post what post crisis or post watchman i guess maybe as the result of Dr. Manhattan fiddling around with everything. Because at the end of Watchmen, he says, you know, he's going to go off and possibly create some life and kind of leaves our universe or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, there's like this, much like the original Watchmen, there's like, a, you know, the clouds of war kind of forming over everything. There's this whole conspiracy about metahumans and were they created by the military and, uh, you know, Batman trying to solve a mystery, much like the way Rorschach was throughout uh, Watchmen. Uh, there's a new Rorschach. There's some a couple of new characters. Um and yeah, issue 12 came out, and it was... <laughs> I don't know how to describe issue 12. Well, yeah, so Jeff Johns has taken this on, and he knows the DCU arguably better than most mm -hmm. people uh, working there, maybe. Like, he's got such a grasp and, and love for these characters, I think that that's why he's able to, to tackle something like this. And bringing in the Watchmen universe, obviously that's going to bring in a whole other, like... You know, the fact that anyone other than Alan Moore or Dave Gibbons is doing anything with the Watchmen characters is still, like, you know, it's a very touchy subject for mm -hmm. a lot of people. I'm open to the idea. I love Watchmen so much, and when it ended, yes, it ends perfectly, and this is it. This is great. It exists as its own thing. But I want to revisit that universe sometimes, mm. and I want to see what's kind of happening. And everything after it, I look at like Elseworlds, yeah. right? So uh, you it's know, fan fiction. It's it's kind of yeah. It's you know, and, but I mean, Alan Moore is the guy who said every aren't all stories. What's the quote about? Uh, oh well, they're like in imaginary uh, Superman. Whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? He's like, this is an imaginary story, which was like how a lot of kind of Elseworldsy before they called them that DC stories would start. And then he says, "Aren't they all?" Mm -hmm. so, yeah, which is perfect. Mm -hmm. I believe our pal Alex has a tattoo of that. Yes, he does. And it's and so I think of that when reading any spinoffs is like, yeah, why can't we, if you want to dip in the pool and, and see what these characters are up to, you know, fine. Like, mm -hmm. you treat them with some type of respect and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Plus, Gary Frank illustrating it. Yeah, Look, I got no beef with Gary Frank. He's and great. Gary, he's like done the panel layout similarly. Like, there's a lot of really cool little touch points. Um, yeah, we've got some characters like uh, the mime and uh, Marionette, Marionette yeah. which seem to have they seem to have some kind of heightened superpowers, mm -hmm. which are a, a bit interesting because in Watchmen world, it's pretty mu pretty much only Doctor Manhattan, just Doctor Manhattan, yeah. who has the superpowers. But and when you've got a character as all powerful as Doctor Manhattan, it, that kind of gives you a Deus Ex Machina to be like, okay, it makes sense that Doctor Manhattan 
could enter the DCU. Mm-hmm. And there's hints of him appearing maybe as Nathaniel Dusk. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what was going on with that story. <laughs> sort of like sneaking into the DCU, and Nathaniel Dusk was this um, like detective character. Yeah, it was a four-part miniseries, or it was a miniseries in the 80s that Don McGregor and Gene Colan did. That I don't know that it was part of DC continuity. Like It was kind of a weird offshoot that was like just reproduced directly from Gene Colan's pencils was the big selling point at the mm-hmm. time, rather than having it inked. So. And it's hinted that Dr. Manhattan is, you know, Assuming that character's persona, mm. and uh, and then he's visiting with this actor, and you know, we well, he's visiting with the actor who's playing Nathaniel Dusk in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carver Coleman, I think it was. Right, which was a neat angle. Like, we we don't need to take apart this whole the whole series, but mm. the fact is, it brought the Watchmen characters into the people who survived the Watchmen universe uh, have kind of crossed over into the DCU, and. I don't. I didn't need the DC characters to meet the Watchmen characters. What I was more interested in was just seeing more Watchmen characters mm-hmm. and seeing like how their their stories have evolved. But the big thing that winds up happening at the end is Doctor Manhattan winds up creating or becoming Superboy. Is that sort of like he goes off and is adopted by Sam and Sandra Hollis, who are actually Laurie Juspazek and Dan Dryberg and their new identities that they assumed at the end of uh, Watchmen. And he kind of shows up on their doorstep and he's a little boy, but he's got the Dr. Manhattan symbol on his head. Yeah. And so clearly we're going to be seeing more of him uh, to come. Yeah. Tom King has been tweeting a lot of stuff like photos of the original Watchmen issues and like doing research for a thing. So I think he's probably going to be writing it. And we all know he loves his nine panel grids. So yeah, <laughs> that's probably on the horizon. I thought it was a fun ride. Mm. Um, I'm going to go back and reread them all now that they're all together. It was definitely the art was a standout for me. Um, the new Rorschach was an interesting take. Yeah. Uh, seeing how he incorporated the comedian briefly and Ozymandias and Lex Luthor and like those parallels I thought were pretty cool. Uh, the superhero, the whole big thing with Firestorm where Firestorm basically caused uh, a firestorm of his own mm-hmm. by inciting this big superhero. I don't, like it was a superhero, um, like there was a crisis, <laughs> I hesitate to say crisis in terms of DC comics, but he sparked this thing that made people afraid of superheroes again, which mm-hmm. was a you know a bit of a parallel to what happened in in Watchmen. Yeah, like um, sort of an Superman event. Yeah, yeah, it is a hard thing to explain. You can't really like Doomsday Clock. The crux of the whole series kind of just seemed to be that at the end, it's like Superman inspires Dr. Manhattan and sort of like has this look ahead to the future, like Superman constantly being revised for future generations. Also, some other stuff about this is now Earth this or the metaverse instead of the multiverse, whatever. That's kind of where my eyes started to glaze over because I I just call that stuff just continuity porn. You know, like we need to find a way to explain it or we need to find, fill these gaps or update this or whatever. And I don't know. This is this is where I'm saying I'm not really reading a lot of Marvel or DC anymore because mm-hmm. that stuff I just I've seen it happen too many times. Well, Doomsday Clock is definitely for a very small audience of people who love Watchmen and love DCU. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's hard to kind of recommend, I think people who just read Watchmen 
and don't know anything about the DCU are probably not going to get anything from, from Doomsday Clock. I don't it's, imagine. They're just yeah. going to be totally confused. But if you want to see these guys team up, much like we saw the Hanna-Barbera characters team up with the DCU guys. It's like, <laughs> if you yeah. want to see a mashup, like, how would this look? Okay. And if they want to bring in these Watchmen characters to be used in the DCU uh, going forward, I mean, this is one way to do it. What you mentioned about Dr. Manhattan and Superman, and maybe this will be my last point about it, I did kind of like that because Dr. Manhattan, as we know, is, you know, and we'll talk about the TV show, he's, you know, he's kind of a downer, kind of a neg. He's got all this power. He doesn't do anything with it. The fact that he is impressed and inspired by Superman Mm -hmm. and really Superman's the original superhero. Yeah. And the fact that Superman's, everything he stands for is enough to inspire this like godlike being to be like, hey, you're, you've been standing up for truth and justice and, and freedom and peace and all this great stuff, uh, and you inspire me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if that's the takeaway from this book, that Superman is powerful enough to influence Dr. Manhattan, who is basically the alt- most powerful, mm-hmm. um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, so you're the optimistic yin to my bitter cynical gang, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like there was, a, I don't, I don't even know what the hell was going on with the comedian in that book. Like he was there, and then he disappeared and went back to the point where he. I don't know. Like I said, he was plucked out of time. Okay. So he's plucked out from the time that he goes out the window, and yeah. then he's plucked out Who of time. Who plucked him out? Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, Doctor Manhattan. Why though? I don't remember. To prove something with like Lex Luthor and like that and then there was like the stuff with uh, the Legion they brought in um, Saturn Girl Saturn Girl and, and then like Johnny Thunder was there see yeah. again like just trying to like explain all this stuff tight. I wasn't really yeah, feeling so it yeah so it does not work as its own standalone story because you need to also there was like that whole thing with the Flash the Button the Batman right. crossover Jesus, that yeah, you I needed to read about that. about that so there and then there was like hints from the Straczynski Dr. Manhattan before Watchmen yeah. thing. So there's all this other stuff. It's not a neat package mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you're very steeped in this stuff. Uh, I guess like I am. <laughs> but um, for me, just reading is like every time a new issue came out, I was excited. I love the art. It's a fun ride for, for that stuff. Now, Watchmen TV show. This honestly has been what I've been waiting for as a Watchmen fan. I feel like this was the most Watchmen 2-esque thing that I I think has been done to date. This is, of course, the Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse's son did the show. Yeah, there was a Cuse in there, but I don't know who Yeah, I think he's Carlton Cuse's son. So Cuse and the ori- Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, for those who may not know, they were the creators most famously for Lost mm-hmm. and then have worked on various things. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of spoiled my opinion right off the bat. I really enjoyed this HBO series way more than I thought I was mm-hmm. going to. What, what's, what's your Oh, I love it, too. Like, it was like, you know, I think as a lot of us were, I was really skeptical going in um, just because it just seemed like, what is this? Who are these characters? How is this Watchmen? I don't know. And, like, the answer is, like, it is Watchmen, but it's set in the present day. It's set in a different location, and uh, it has some of the old characters, but a lot of new ones. And is addressing a different set of concerns. Like, you know, like, uh, rather than being about the Cold War, this one is very much about race in America. And, like, it opens with that Tulsa massacre, the Black Wall Street massacre of 1921, which is a thing that 
I'd never heard of. It wasn't taught to me in school. And I feel like I know a lot of people have said the same thing. And it's like, I had to learn this from a superhero TV show. But I think that speaks to the quality of the show, that it delves into things like that. Like, And it's got a lot of stuff like that layered into it. Like uh, the big flashback episode about Hooded Justice's origin, the police officer who gives William Reeves his badge was the first black police officer in New York City, historically. Like, that character was based on a real guy. And then there's also, it opens with that film reel of Bass Reeves, like the the marshal, who it turns out was also a real guy. Like, there's just a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's just stuff we never learned in school, stuff that wasn't taught to us. Like, so there's a lot of stuff about kind of erasure of, like, black identity and black contributions and things like that. And then, yeah, like a whole new take on Hooded Justice and his origins, which is like one of those things where I was watching it going like, does this violate anything we know from the comic? And it turns out it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't. That's what's so good. It's nothing that's yeah. ever definitively answered in the comic. There's a lot of hints as to who he might have been and what his deal was, but it's never definitively said. So, like, all this stuff totally works. Like, And it was you that pointed out to me that there's a mention in the original notes for the Watchmen comic mm-hmm. that Hooded Justice was originally named uh, uh, Brother... Knight or Brother Justice? No, that was a different character that just never showed up. Like, it was in his notes for who these characters were going to be. He lists off all the other Minutemen, and he throws in one called Brother Knight that he was like, oh, he's like a Spectre-type supernatural guy, or maybe he's not supernatural, we don't know, but he's a real weirdo. Uh, that was totally unrelated. And then that character just never made it in. Okay, book, but so. I mean, everything that made sense with their origin and explaining Hooded Justice in the show mm-hmm. and who he was makes total s- Like, I thought this fit in perfectly, and that's oh, what definitely. I loved. And what you're saying about that original, like, the first black police officer, I mean, what the original Watchmen did was take real-world stuff and... Like, like, yeah, the Kitty Genovese murder, like, which, you know, inspires Rorschach. Right. Like, that was a real thing, like... Yeah, so actual, like, it was... I mean, Watchmen was originally in, like, it created to be what if superheroes were in the real world. Yeah. Um, which now seems like, oh, I've heard that a million times, but Watchmen was the first one to really do that. And yeah. So with this, and I loved how opening episode, you're like, what is going on? Who are these people? Who's this looking glass guy? Who's awesome, by the way? What yeah. a great new character. Mm-hmm. Who's Sister Knight? Why are all these people running around in Rorschach mask? Why are we starting with this uh, Tulsa, uh, this massacre? Like, And then the reveals slowly about Ozymandias and Dr. Manhattan and Sister Knight and Hooded Justice, everything came together and it was done with such like, I just thought it was a brilliant way to reinterpret everything from Watchmen and heighten it and build on it. Kind of recontextualize it. Absolutely, without ruining the original in any way Mm -hmm. and giving us this whole new take. Like, this is, to me, loving Watchmen all this time, finally seeing... Like, it is a sequel. I see it as... That's a true sequel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what I would rather have than just like, well, what's Night Owl up to now? A character that we didn't get to see. But like, you know, like sequels like that are a dime a dozen. But I like this idea of like, let's push it ahead. Let's go someplace mm-hmm. else. Let's see how that world has changed and evolved. And let's follow some new characters through it. You know, kind of like what they call a legacy sequel, you know, like in that world, but with like The Force Awakens, you know, or like Creed. <laughs> like just these like, we've got some of the old characters. We've got a set of new characters. Is that the term, legacy sequel? I've heard that one through. I around. like yeah. that. Yeah, so... Um, I didn't know if it was like, you're trying to get an extra leg or... I like <laughs> this leg so much, I wanted to give my leg a sequel, but... 
But yeah, big fan of my right leg here. Yeah, like the like, music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross was incredible. Uh, soundtracks and, awesome. Mm-hmm. It, everything, the shots, the costumes, the acting. What great choices! Oh yeah, everybody. terrific cast. Like, um, so how did you feel about this whole Ozymandias thing? So that seems to be the the one character that I think a lot of people uh, that I've spoken to had problems with his depiction. In oh really? Show. Oh, I liked it. I um, thought it was great because yeah. he even says it in. You know, we're spoiling this, but not spoiling it, I think. But, like, Ozymandias is, for a guy who goes off and in, into this strange isolation, of course he's going to start to go a little crazy. Mm-hmm. And his his world was so, like, I love that they only gave you little glimpses into it. And then they, they answered the question, like, unlike Lost, yeah. <laughs> this show rewards you for watching all the way through and kind of answers a lot of stuff. Yeah, like they actually did have the ending first and mm-hmm. then worked back from it. Which is, yeah, everything about it was uh, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are they planning a second season? That's still up in the air, like probably because it was a big success. Like it was one of these things where like the early episodes, it was like, oh, it's not doing great. But now in this new world we're in where people are, you know, DVRing it or streaming it, they start to get data later, and they go, "Oh, a lot of people are watching this." So by the end of it, it you know, and the reviews were almost across the board praising it. And uh, yeah, there almost certainly will be a sequel. I don't know if Lindelhoff's going to be involved because a lot of the interviews he's been saying, you know, like everything I had, all my ideas, I put into this. I didn't think of it as like season two, three, four, whatever. So it's if there is, he may not be involved. I also really loved how they did like the titles of each episode yes. and how they worked them in mm-hmm. and they kept the same fonts yep. and Dave Gibbons was on board. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was like an executive producer or something. Yeah, so that's cool. And all the I wondered who designed the characters, like the costumes and stuff cuz they felt very like they fit in, right? Mm-hmm. Like even who was the uh the Russian character? Oh, Red Scare. Yeah. See, I was saying uh, that stuff, a lot of that reminded me of another Alan Moore series, Top Ten, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like sort of superhero cops, kind of that being the angle. I thought yeah. that was cool. I wonder if Alan Moore will watch this show. I doubt it. Because <laughs> he famously has wants nothing to do with Watchmen, right? So yep. Dave Gibbons now is free to do with whatever he likes with it. And well, yeah, well, DC specifically. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, I hate that I'm at this point now where I'm just, like, kind of blasé about it but it's like it is a valuable IP that this giant corporation owns they know there's money to be made of course they're going to exploit it like this is a tale as old as time like when it, you know I don't know if you remember this but back in the 90s Frank Miller famously had a snit fit with Marvel because they had told him you created Elektra nobody else other than you is ever going to touch Elektra she's your character nothing and then of course once it was profitable to do so there's a Peter Milligan, Mike Diodato Electra series where she's like working in as an exotic dancer, but also, and he was just like, you know, screw you guys, I'm never working for you again. But it's like, what do you expect? It's like that tale of the frog and the scorpion, you know? Like, I'm, I'm a scorpion, what do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> like, yeah, and now Frank Miller, there's a guy who's now gone back and keeps dipping into the Dark Knight pool mm-hmm. at DC, which, if you love that stuff... It's cool. And you liked the his Superman one, right? Didn't he do that? Yeah, that Superman year one was okay. It kind of fell apart at the end. Like, his writing is not what it was, but it's getting better than what it's been the last couple of years. I actually really enjoyed the recent Dark Knight Golden Child mm-hmm. one shot, mostly for the art. I don't know if you read that one, but it's... Uh, was uh, Raphael Grandpa? Yes, it? as I call him, the world's greatest grandpa. I love his <laughs> art. Uh, and the colors by Jordi Belair are terrific, too. Like, so there was some stuff, like, the story was pretty weird. You know, Donald Trump being reelected with the help of 
or like the Joker and Darkseid trying to help Donald Trump get reelected. Pretty weird, but just some sequences in it that were really breathtaking, like fantastic looking stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. So and Frank Miller's come back to do that stuff, and you know I I love Alan Moore, and I don't know if he's completely done with comics altogether. Yeah, now he is. With, so yeah. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he just wrapped that up. Yeah, that was his thing. Is like I'm doing this, and then I'm retiring from comics. And I'm pretty sure Kevin O'Neill did too. So huh. not that either of them were doing much right now anyway, but. Well, I'd love to see. I would love to see Dave Gibbons then do like a one shot or something yeah. with all this stuff coming out now. I meant to look it up because I feel like there was some Dave Gibbons artwork in that show. I don't know if you remember this. There were there were some standees. The Bible right? illustration. I'm thinking of oh, like Adam and Eve. Yeah. When uh, in that flashback in like the. Uh, I think it was in the finale or like the second last episode. No, it was in the Dr. Manhattan episode when he's as a child looking through the Bible. I'm pretty sure that was a Dave Gibbons illustration. That's awesome. Also, some like when the shops and stuff, like when they're in Vietnam and it's, which is such a, another cool take. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, Vietnam is now part of the U.S. and mm-hmm. um, Which is something that I think is like a throwaway line in the comic that exactly. it's the 51st state, but we actually spend some time there. Yeah. you And you mentioned every time you read Watchmen, you get something new out of it. It's mm-hmm. like they clearly combed everything possible angle of the original work yeah. to, to come up with this. And I love what they did with Silk Spectre's character. Yes, she was great. Ah, she and again, like that's another thing too, where more details, like she's in her car at one point, well, in her apartment, she's listening to Devo, which in the, actually the episode is titled She Was Killed by Space Junk, which is a Devo lyric reference. There's a, a part in the comic where she talks about going to a Devo concert. And then later on in that same episode, she's in her car, she's listening to the song You're My Thrill by Billie Holiday, which in the comic, when her and Night Owl rescue a bunch of people from that tenement fire, he puts that on the speakers inside the Owl ship in Archie. So yeah, just like little details like that. And through all it. those little details really gave it that vibe. And it was the closest to, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, wow, this really does feel like a, a proper, well-done, you know, tale within the Watchmen universe. And yeah. I'm really excited. I hope they can do... They will do more. Um, yeah, like, I, I do want to see more. I don't know that I want to necessarily see more with these characters. I don't want to say too much about how it ends, but, like, where it ends with the main character, Angela Abar, is perfect, and I don't want to explore past that because mm. I think that would just sort of take away from it. I don't know what you possibly do after that that would be cool or interesting. Like, yeah. I just think it ends at the perfect spot. But, like, a lot of the stuff with her character is, I don't know, like, the, the racial angle stuff is really powerful especially even like her origin episode the Vietnam one where she's carrying the sister night videotape around that you know and she meets her grandmother and she's like well you know why do you like that and she's like because she looks like me and I think that's a really important facet of it is that you and I being white kids growing up all of our fantastical entertainment we're surrounded by people who look Mm -hmm. like us but what if you were a little African-American kid you're like where's my representation in this, you know, or like an Asian American or whatever. Like there's just almost predominantly white. So I thought that was really a really impactful scene just yeah. to kind of hear it spoken like that. That like, you know, everybody needs someone to identify with in their sort of adventuring, you know? Absolutely. No, it's great. If you have not, if you haven't watched the Watchmen HBO series, and I think you can get into it without even knowing, you'll certainly get more out of it if you've read Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and they used the squid monster, which was Famously not in the Zack Snyder yeah. movie. So if you've only watched the Zack Snyder movie, you might be like, what's with the squid thing? But go read the watch. But it all gets explained in the course of the show, too. Like, they do explain what that is and why it happened. And Yeah. Yeah. It was good. And now DC, yeah, I don't know if they're going to do a comic based on that universe. Like, that seems 
like a no-brainer to me. Well, like, I mean, depending on who was doing it, I'd certainly read a Looking Glass miniseries. You 100%. Know, like, something that's like just these characters doing cases or whatever, like, but... You know, I also don't want to see it just get milked into the ground. Like, that's no, but, phrase, but you know it what I mean. seems like, yeah, and DC is, like, certainly going through the archives and doing everything they can. I mean, like, the Watchmen Companion just came out. Yeah, which is stuff from, like, the RPG in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like, which you haven't been able to get forever, but... Uh, hey, it's cool. I got a copy of it. I, I, I actually really enjoy it. I mean, look, if you want to know uh, how many dexterity points you can get from night vision goggles... <laughs> how much charisma Rorschach has. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out. Um, it's a, I, I like it, and I mean, you know, I always called myself kind of a Watchmen Companion, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought it was a, a really cool book, and it's dense. And mm-hmm. if you enjoy reading like those old RPG manuals and stuff, because um, it was Mayfair Games who yeah, yeah. Uh, who did it. But who I don't even know if they exist anymore. But no. But what's interesting is Alan Moore co-signed all that stuff. Yeah. So he worked with that was back in the day when he was still on board with it all. So yeah. So he like it's kind of one of the only things that can be considered Watchmen canon yeah. in a weird way. Well, because like at the time, he was kind of open to doing other... Like He didn't really want to do sequels, but he had discussed the possibility of doing like a Minuteman miniseries, like a prequel. But then that was when things started to go sour between him and DC, and it just never materialized. But. I wonder if Darwin's Minuteman thing pulled any... Like, if I he had access to any notes or anything from that time. I can't imagine Alan Moore would let DC have any of that stuff. And I feel like it was just... Very early discussions. I don't mm. think there's really anything to be found. So Yeah. Wow. Well, talking about very early discussions, we've had a very lengthy discussion. We have. And <laughs> this has been honestly a pleasure, man. Like, a great way to kick off the new year, mm-hmm. talking with one of my best pallies Aww. about uh, comics and nerdy stuff that we love. Um, I know 2020, there's a lot coming up. I'm super pumped for your comic series. Thank I'm you. Like, and we've got a little project we're working on as well that mm-hmm. I'm very excited about, the... Uh, the other shop, uh, little lyrical comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know how much you wanted to say about that. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I just revealed it here, a little tease. So oh my God. there'll be more news about that. But Dave, uh, we're uh, we're developing a little lyric uh, comic, and Dave's doing. You're doing the other shop. Which uh, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm, me too. I got to get cracking on that when I get um, back off vacation. Oh man, I'm psyched to see your take on that. Um, yeah, so stay tuned, listeners, because we're going to have a lot more news about that real soon. Um, anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to talk about? I mean, no. people can find you. How can they find you? On Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter a whole lot. I'm more on Instagram, uh, Peschetti Western, which I guess maybe we'll spell it out in the show notes rather than have me spell it out. But uh, that's probably the best place to find me. Yeah, you're posting so many awesome drawings. Uh, you've been so prolific. Are you, You're doing like a drawing a day. Like I'm trying. Like, I don't know. I, I did some things like I did... Copra drawings every day leading up to the release for a month leading up to the release of the new series. I did a bunch for uh, the month of October because every October I watched 31 horror movies, so I was doing drawings to accompany that. You know, I'm just trying not to. It's like, you know, it's like muscles. You got to work out. You know, you want to maintain your shape. You got to keep it, keep at it. So, well, you're at peak Hallett right now, man. Like <laughs> the stuff you've been cranking out, like is just it's better and better. And I'm loving all the new styles you're trying and experimenting with, and the, the your coloring techniques and just your characters are just getting stronger and more exciting and more oh. dynamic than ever. Oh, and, yeah, man. Like honestly. V- 
keep an eye out for Dave's work. Like you're, you're this comic you're working on. I'm really, really excited about. And, oh, uh, and the last paper route, of course. Yeah. And so Send many me a script, things. I'll start and, drawing it. Yeah. And I hope, I hope you and Rochelle can get out a, another special episode or something before long. Yeah, I'm we'll big see fan what, of you know. It, we have Wednesdays. not closed the door on it. We just no. sort of, you know, we're both busy with other things. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming over, man. This has been a pleasure, and uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting again before long. Cool. All right. Peace. So, what can I say but thank you, dear, for sharing.